Hello and welcome to the Gamers Tavern. This episode runs a little bit shorter than our normal episodes as our guest, Justin Gary, had to leave a little early. I'd planned to record more for a second half of this episode, but unfortunately I was hospitalized last week, which kind of pushed back a lot of things. Um, I'm recovered and I'm doing well, so it's back to business. So the first thing I want to let you know is our guest, Justin Gary, is going to be at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas this weekend on March 19th, giving a talk on designing your own games at 11 a.m. And if things work out, I should be in attendance too in the audience. I'd also like to let you know that our streaming is still going strong with our Shattering Game Table plot resistance going every Friday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time, both on our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash gamers tavern show, and now also on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash meet in a tavern. If you've missed any of our episodes, you can also check them out at our YouTube channel as well. And finally, I want to let you know that we at Gamers Tavern now have a Patreon. If you want to help support the Gamers Tavern, go to patreon.com slash gamers tavern and donate now. You'll get access to exclusive backer only podcasts and other material, special live streams, and a whole lot more. You can also get a sneak peek at what we have planned for the future of Gamers Tavern. So just go to patreon.com slash gamers tavern and help keep us on the air. So without further ado, grab a drink from the bar and take a seat at the table in the corner, and we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Geek and Gamer Gear is a new store out there for gaming and anime jewelry and memorabilia. They've already got a huge selection of quality items at bargain basement prices, and they're adding new products all the time. If you use the coupon code TAVERN, you get an additional 10% off their already low prices. So go to geekingamergear.com to find the perfect Pokemon plushie, Legend of Zelda necklace, companion cube earrings, or a whole lot more. That's geek, the letter N, gamergear.com. And don't forget that coupon code TAVERN for 10% off every single order. Welcome to a special episode of the Gamers Tavern Podcast. I'm your host, Ross Watson. And I'm Daryl Mock. And we have a guest with us today who is a king, a god, a colossus amongst card game designers, Justin Gary. Hello, I love that's the best introduction I think I've ever gotten. <laughs> <laughs> well, all the different card games have different like special cards with you know words on them. I wasn't gonna call you a Mox Pearl or anything, so I had to come up with something, you know, good. And I think I think that worked out. I like it. I'm going to have you introduce me uh, from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, uh, Justin. We appreciate you showing up. No, it's my pleasure. So one of the first things we do here on the, the Gamers Tavern is we ask our guests to explain a little bit about who they are and where our listeners might know you from. But we do this in the context of a character sheet because we are typically a tabletop role-playing podcast. But uh, you know, maybe a character sheet isn't the best way to do it. Could you do it in the form maybe of a deck? <laughs> interesting interesting okay i like it i like it i can do that well i uh i think for me i'd have to describe myself uh as a blue red magic deck uh this is actually the first deck i played when i first started playing magic was a blue red control deck and the very same deck i used to win the national championships in 1997 uh 
So uh, the blue has always spoken to my uh, analytical nature in uh, thinking and trying to control situations, and the red to my more passionate uh, and uh, chaotic side. I am uh, I am uh, ludicrously passionate about games and game design and uh, all the things that I do, and so uh, that's why I love talking about them. and uh, And that's uh, got me to design games, both for other companies. I worked at Upper Deck Entertainment, did uh, the Versus System trading card game for Marvel and DC. The World of Warcraft trading card game, World of Warcraft miniatures game. I designed a ton of other games on the side. Started my own company uh, about six years ago uh, called Stoneblade Entertainment. Uh, we released a deck building game called Ascension, uh, which has been a big hit. Uh, and I partnered with the guy that created uh, Magic the Gathering, Richard Garfield, uh, to create our digital card game Soul Forge, uh, S-O-L-F-O-R-G-E, uh, which is available now on for free on uh, I, iTunes, on iOS, Android, and PC. And we have a big update coming for, uh, and a bunch of other games, including a brand new one we just uh, partnered with called Labyrinth, which actually appealed to your uh, listeners quite a bit because it's got a uh, tabletop RPG component to it and a tactical RPG component as well as a, a card game component. That's badass. So there's got to be a card in your deck somewhere that says tap this to have Justin create a game. <laughs> That's about right. That's about right. Yes, I uh, I love making games. I have in my closet, like right next to me here, um, about 20 prototype games uh, that have not yet seen the, seen the light of day, uh, but are, uh, are all in various stages of progress. And then to my right on the shelf, a uh, giant uh, list of our giant set of games uh, that I love to play. And some of I've made, some I, uh, I have, a lot of my friends have made. And uh, so it's a very uh, pretty obsessive way to live, but I like it. That's cool. You're actually like the first guest we've had that might know some of the stuff I've worked on. Uh, like Empire Engine and, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings trading card game and, uh, Warhammer Invasion and, oh gosh, what's that new thing called? Mystic Veil and uh, a bunch of AEG stuff. I'm trying to think. Oh, Lost Legacy. Yeah. Yes. So yes, I know, I know about half of those. I've, I've, <laughs> um, so that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Some of those are, I love, uh, the, the Lord of the Rings CCG is a lot of really clever, really clever stuff going on to make that, that IP come to life. That's great design. Well, to, well, just to be really clear, I did not design it, the Lord of the Rings one. I just wrote some, uh, uh, background text and stuff for it. So, um. Background text sucked, so. <laughs> <laughs> I like this guy. We need to have him back. Uh, do you know a guy named James Hotta by chance? James Hotta. This sounds familiar, but I'm not sure. Okay. He, I think he works at Watsy right now doing Magic the Gathering stuff. And uh, he and I work together at Fantasy Flight Games on a bunch of things. So. You never know. It's this industry is so small. Sometimes you run into people who know people. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. And 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 I'm I'm like horrifically bad with names, like embarrassingly bad with names. So it's like it's the kind of thing I'm pretty sure if I saw him, I you know be like, oh yeah, yeah, of course, you know. So it's it's a very small industry, merry-go-round. Uh, uh, so uh, you you know you've been in this as long as I have. You, you get to know quite quite a few people that uh, that make the rounds of different companies and different games. Cool. Well, the second thing we do with our guests is we talk about what we've been playing lately. And I'm going to start with Daryl. Daryl, what have you been playing lately? Uh, I've been doing a lot of video game. Uh, I have the mo- the one I've spent the most time on. It seems like is the South Park role playing game. Uh, was uh, Stick of Truth. Stick of Truth. Yeah, uh, it is. I'm actually surprised how much it feels like you're in an episode of South Park. It is awesome. Well, you know, uh, former guest in front of the show, Chris Avalone. Mm-hmm. Was a big guy involved in Stick of Truth, so 
That that does yeah. not surprise me. That it is very much like an episode of the show. Yeah, it, they 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 got the tone of it right, and the game behind it is actually pretty cool. I mean, it's standard role playing right. game stuff, but it's role playing uh, like a fantasy role playing game as seen through the eyes of the kids. Like if you remember the episode where they had the where they got the ninja weapons, yeah. Right. And everyone had their little haphazard homemade costumes, but you had the big, it feels like that sort of thing where your, your sword is actually just like a stick or something, or it's, um, you're like, it's two little pieces of wood that have been hastily carved to look kind of like daggers, but they yeah, actually you, work it, in the game the, as if it was. If it's a production value of the actual show. <laughs> and I also just started, I started playing last night, but didn't get very far into it. Uh, Alien Isolation. Wow. Okay. Which is another one that captured the feel of the right. movie. So, Is there a cat that jumps out every so often? Not that I've gotten so far, but it's, it's, it, it feels like you're walking along on the set of the Nostromo, even though it's not the Nostromo. Right. That you're on, but it's that whole retro future tech kind of thing right. where everything, it, everything looks like seventies tech, seventies thought that technology would look like in right. the future. So it's all like big, huge push buttons and stuff. It's actually really cool. It's got a cool aesthetic to it. All right. Still, well, I definitely plan on checking that out someday. Yeah. Still haven't run to the alien yet. That's a little bit further ahead, but I know it's there because I've seen a couple of bodies. <laughs> all right. Justin, what have you been playing lately? Well, I've been playing uh, a lot of uh, variety. I mean, whatever. I, I'm working on games. I spend most of my day playing the games I work on. Uh, it's it's actually one of the weird, ironic things is you're in the game industry. Uh, sometimes you lose your ability to play a lot of different games. Um, I played a fair amount of Duelist as a digital card game um, that's uh, got a 3D kind of terrain to it, which is uh, really uh, Eric Lang uh, did a bunch of the design work for is really, uh, really good. Um, I played, uh, a bunch of code names with, um, my friends here. That's a pretty fun social deduction card game, uh, which creates some pretty hilarious situations and fights between people. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that game at all, but it's, uh, it was definitely my, my, my favorite game from Gen Con last year. And, uh, it's a good, uh, good crossover for your, for your non-gamer friends to come in. Uh, okay. uh, uh and then, um, Outside of that, I think those are really the two. Oh, I, you know, I busted out. I, it's not. It's an old game, but I busted out uh, my my own copy of Betrayal at House on the Hill, uh, mm. which is really fun. And I just it had been long enough since I played that it was a really fun uh, experience to kind of get back into and just kind of you know get. It's one of those board games that you can really get more role playing into it. You know, right. I almost well, picked say, that up this week and when it was on sale and I didn't, I've been regretting it since. I've mm. got to say this. My business partner and roommate, Sean Patrick Fannin, had, he is addicted to Ascension. Oh, that's awesome. Oh my God. He just plays it and plays it and brings it over to other people's houses and introduces them to it. And it's just, he is like, you should pay this guy to, uh, to sell the game for you because he's really good at it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he gets a lot of people to play Ascension here in the Denver, Denver area. So I thought you'd get a kick out of that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's crazy to me when I think about, you know, I mean, I made Ascension, you know, that was my first game I published on my own. I used all of my life savings to make that game and get it and get it to market. And I, you know, I was, Ooh. Not sure if I was going to be building my house out of Ascension boxes, uh, you know, at the end of it. But, uh, <laughs> that, that was a gamble that paid off, didn't it? It was. Now, it was. How many expansions are you on now? This, we, I literally just last week, we sent to the printer, uh, set ex, the 10th expansion. Nice. Wow. That's right. 
Yeah, and I'm now kind of working on the initial designs and stuff for for set eleven, which is uh, it's just wild, man. And I'm, I'm I'm we're doing some pretty cool, crazy stuff for the for those. Of, I don't know if you had a chance to play uh the the last one, Dreamscape, um, which has been a really fun. We actually have like your own little subset of cards that only you have access to buy uh, from the start of the game, which is really just opens up a whole new world of of strategy and and possibility, and and helps you deal with a lot of the the most painful parts of ascension, which is like other people buying the cards that you want. You have like some cards you're like, no, nobody else can buy this but me. I'm gonna <laughs> around it. That's uh, that's almost any deck builder. It's like, you son of a bitch, I needed that. Right, exactly, exactly. But you know, it's, it's. I actually wrote an article about this on uh, on Gama Sutra on how to make games that last, and really talked about the different strategies and things. And it's like you know, when you're making expansions, you're getting down. You know, I planned, and I thought I was doing pretty good. I had three years of content planned when I made Ascension. I mean, I I just because it was I I started it just as something for me and my friends to play, and we really um I had a ton of cards, and and it's because it's my friends, and we're all kind of sophisticated kind of gamers and game designers i i put a lot of fancy stuff in there which when i was releasing it to to the public it was i had to pull all that out so it was all kind of like ready to go um and so like oh well i got plenty of time and then now we're on you know year six or whatever and i'm like uh okay new <laughs> uh here we go <laughs> Um, so it's, it's been, it's been a really, uh, it's been really a blessing and awesome to, to see how much people have reacted to it and to be able to continue to do this. And, and I've got every, and it's great because every time we get to play and like create really cool new ideas and then bring back old mechanics and shine new lights on them. And, and that's just a really fun process. Sweet. Well, I'm going to talk briefly about what I've been playing lately. Uh, I have been playing, I've also been bitten by the video game bug. We're playing uh, Borderlands 2 an awful lot. Myself and, um, Michael Serbrook, former guest in front of the show. If for a four-year-old game, that game is still goddamn good. Uh, then a brand new game came out, which is XCOM 2, and that absorbed me for like a month. <laughs> God, a I love XCOM 2. I, I keep Steam running in the background, and it's like, Ross is playing Borderlands like, like, 2. Ross is playing, playing XCOM, like, XCOM 2. Yeah. And I'm like, you've got all yep. these projects. How are you finding time? Uh, you know, it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on top of that, uh, we are we are still playing, of course, our D&D 5th Edition Birthright game. We are still playing... Uh, Savage Worlds and Savage Rifts, which is the thing is happening. And uh, I have started playing on Monday nights, uh, basically every other Monday night, a uh, Star Wars game down at our local uh, store. And I, I got to tell you about our character really quick. Uh, so I, I went for the first night and drew a bounty hunter just because that was the, the, the character on top of the, the thing. And I had a lot of fun with that. But I, I came back later and I told the GM, I said, here's my idea. So there's a bounty hunter out there. He's a total badass. And a lot of people are gunning for him. So he's built these protocol droids and reprogram them to be decoys. They wear his armor and pretend to be him and draw the fire away from him. Game Master's like, yeah, that sounds good. And I said, so the bounty hunter dies and I'm playing one of the droids. <laughs> huh. And yeah, he was like, okay, that's really interesting. So yeah, I'm playing D3CY or decoy uh, who is pretending to be the feared bounty hunter, Drannon Fett or Drannon uh, Cord. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a Freudian slip there. Uh, but yeah, he's, uh, it's a lot of fun to play that, uh, Star Wars. D6 is, uh, is interesting. It's, it's, you can see like where that became later on Savage Worlds and stuff, you know, like how the, uh, the wild eye mechanic sort of evolved. That's the, uh, the Western games. Yeah. Okay. Western games. DC. Yeah. There's actually a, a free version that's, that's, uh, called the revised and expanded and updated version that's out there. You can grab, go grab it. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Like there's a lot of, a lot of people put a lot of work into that. Because yeah, uh, uh, the, they did OGL on that right sure. at the end, right before Western right. Games was, yeah. Well, one thing we definitely need to do is put a link in the show notes, by the way, to Justin's article that he was just talking about, because I mm -hmm. think that's really interesting. 
Um, and the last thing we do before we jump into our main topic, Justin, is we talk about what we call a tavern tale. And usually uh, that is a memorable die roll from a game. Now, obviously, for you, we're going to switch it up a little bit. And I'm going to ask you for a story of a really memorable either card flip or hand that you may have gotten in a game uh, of cards. Hmm. Something that may have turned the tide for you at a critical moment. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting component. I, uh, I think probably the biggest thing, so I'm playing in Pro Tour Houston. This okay. is in 2002. Now we, I had a teammate, I was part of the team, Your Move Games, uh, me, Rob Doherty, Darwin Castle, a bunch of other very, very talented magic, pro magic players. We came into this tournament. Now, normally when you test as a team for a magic tournament, you all come up with like the best deck, right? You come up with some deck and you're like, all right, this is it. This is the deck we're going to play. And right. we're all going to go and, and we're all going to play this deck and, and, and we're all going to do well. We couldn't agree on a deck. Every single one of us played a different deck. Every single one of us. Wow. And, and so Rob had a deck, uh, was a, was a, like a reanimator type deck. Darwin had a green, black kind of good stuff control deck. And I had, a blue, green, black Oath of Druids, uh, deck that would, uh, basically had only one creature in it, the Cognivore, which whenever it, uh, it got, its power and toughness was equal to the number of instants in your discard pile. So Oath of Druids is if your opponent has more creatures than you, you flip cards off the top of your deck until you get to a creature. And, uh, oh my God. <laughs> so I have nothing but instants in my deck. So he would rig regularly be 20 power or whatever and kill you in a turn. Oh my God. <laughs> so I, um, wow. now, now to give more context is so now we all are playing different decks. Everybody thinks they have the best deck. So what happens? Rob, Darwin, and I all make top eight of the Pro Tour wow. slots one, two, and three. So then, so we go into the top eight, we play, we all 3 0 our opponents in the semifinal rounds. Then I 3-0 my opponent, or sorry, in the quarterfinals. I 3-0 my opponent in the semifinals. Rob beats Darwin 3-2, the total, like, full, full, to the final game. Then we go and we play to the final game. Rob and I are playing for the championships. So again, this is my roommate. This is my roommate at the event. This is a buddy of mine. This is somebody I tested with for months beforehand. We're both playing different decks. We're both playing for $30,000. And we are going down to game five. And I don't remember. And then basically he has cards that takes things out of my hand. And if I can get an Oath of Druids out, it's like a pretty, uh, pretty huge advantage in the game. He can't, he has no way in his deck to get rid of it. So once I get it out, it's pretty much, you know, it's pretty much game over. Not definite, but anyway, so he uses a duress, takes it out of my hand. So he's like, now he's going to be in like a much better spot. And of course, right when I need it, right off the top of my deck, uh, the lovely, another copy of Oath of Druids. And I'm able oh, to no. the card. <laughs> And basically, it takes a while. The game goes on for a while after that, but that was pretty much the the, the end of uh, the beginning of the end and uh, and wow. my championship title. So sorry that story went a little longer, but I, I wanted to give context. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a that's a brilliant story. And actually, for for Daryl and I, that's this is actually going to kind of segue us really nicely into the main topic because our our topic tonight is card games. And Daryl and I, uh, we are not particularly. Uh, deep card game players. <laughs> I, I played a lot of Magic the Gathering when it uh starting with revised and ending roundabout weatherlight. So it's been a very, very long time for me for since I played Magic, but there are other types of card games other than just Magic the Gathering out there, though well, yeah, some but, people may not 
accept that fact, but <laughs> well, the the point is, is I I just want to make it very clear to the listeners that Justin is the by far the expert here, no um, question. And we, I mean, I've played and dabbled, you know, in various in various card game types uh, along the way, but I am not a master of any of them. So, all right, well, let's uh, let's let's ask that question, Justin, since you're you're joining us on the show and you're pretty much uh, the Lord of Cards, as we have established. Uh, what? are the different types of card games out there on the market today? Sure. So, um, you know, you've got, uh, obviously your, your traditional card games, uh, that, you know, most people are familiar with, obviously anything with, you know, poker, uh, you have games like Uno, uh, that are sort of, you know, single deck has its rules, you know, you play and that's it. Uh, that's a basic, that's your basic game. Then you've got your, your fancy collectible card games, um, like Match the Gathering and Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon and our game Soulforge, where the idea is that you open up, you get packs of cards that are random and they're, and there's different rarities. So like, uh, baseball cards, right? Mm-hmm. And then you build a deck from those cards that you bring and your opponent does the same thing and they bring and then you play against each other. And the thing that's exciting about a collectible card game is that it, you know, there's the number of permutations of different things that can happen is astronomical, right? Even just a few hundred cards has a, has a ton of different permutations and games like magic have thousands of cards. Um, and so the, the, the joy of those games is that they can always be new and fresh and interesting. And every time new cards gets released, it's almost like playing a whole new game, but it's still the game you love. Right. The downside, of course, being that you can spend a million dollars uh, playing them because they are constantly new cards to collect and they're constantly super rare. Uh, so you have to balance that out. And that's actually, I think, one of the reasons why now the rise of digital card games has been so big. Hearthstone. Um, right, exactly. Hearthstone. Um, you have the game Duelist I mentioned. Labyrinth and Soulforge are both. Uh, um, and because those all have uh, – they're, they're free to play. So you can get in and you can play and you can dabble and you can have fun and you can get used to a game. And then if you want to pay money to, you know, get cards faster, you can, but you don't have to. Um, so that's a really nice, uh, evolution there. Um, but for, as far as other card game types, there's also what would, uh, what has been called living card games, um, by, uh, but that's trademarked, I think, by, uh, Fantasy Flight. So there's other versions of it. Um, uh, what's basically, a two versus system is what upper deck. Right. Used. 2PCG, whatever. But the gist of these is it's basically the exact same thing as a collectible card game, except the cards are not rare. They are bought in fixed packs and fixed box, you know, so right. you know what you're getting when you buy it. Um, so it gets you that fun excitement of, uh, infinite possibilities and all the different permutations and building your own deck without the like wallet sting of, of chasing after that ultra rare card you really need. And then there's, uh, expandable card games, um, which are kind of more like, uh, my deck building game Ascension, where, yeah, it's one box, sort of like a game of Uno, but there's also other boxes you can buy, and you don't have to buy them to play, and the key distinction between that and, 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 um, like a living card game is that basically everybody's playing with the same set of cards, right? Me having, in a living card game, I'm still incentivized to buy more cards than you because my deck could be better. So there's still some of that, like my, my collection matters for me. Whereas a game like Ascension, you buy more Ascension just because you want to have more fun with more Ascension, not because you want to make yourself more powerful because everybody will have access to all the cards in whatever set of Ascension you play or however you combine. Them. Um, those are kind of the major categories of card games as I would, I would define them in the landscape now. What about, uh, something like party games? Uh, cause there's a lot of, you know, a flux and things like that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's 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 a fair thing. I mean, I, I, I uh, it's sort of a more of a, 
I, I think about that a little bit more in terms of like the types of players that want to play them, but I think that's more than fair. The, the, so social games, um, I think are flux. I would just, I would dub as very similar to Uno, but it's just a lighter card game. But right. I think things like, um, uh, apples to apples, cards against humanity. Yeah. <laughs> um, you could say, um, the, uh, code names is a game I mentioned earlier. Um, you could even say things like taboo would fall under this category, um, where it's more about the social aspect of it and the, uh, getting to know the other people around the table and kind of laughing and having fun more than ju- than the sort of strategic trying right. to you know gameplay components less more more social less strategic um s- style of game. Now um, there's a, there's a card game I've been playing an awful lot of lately. I mean just to, in over a year I should say I've been playing for yeah. over a year now. Uh, but I love it. It's my favorite card game by far. But I don't know how to classify this. It's called Sentinels of the Multiverse. And what type of game is that? Do you are you aware of that one? I'm not sure. I'm familiar with that one. What is the? Uh, I, it's a superhero based uh, card game where uh, each character has their own deck. It's kind of similar to the Pathfinder game in a way, except that you don't build up. I don't think you build up the decks any. During no, the, the decks are the decks are, are the decks are the decks. If I play if I play a Tachyon, I have all of Tachyon's cards. The only thing I have to choose from is the character card, and that. That does modify a play a little bit, but you know, for the most part, like even in the base game, there is no you. Once you choose your character, you're done. So, so it's kind of like Smash Up, only you're not mixing two genres. You just have and it's, your character. It's cooperative. It's cooperative. We're all playing against the game. Uh I see. So. Interesting. Yeah. So, so there's so then the, there's different things because yeah, Smash Up. I'm glad you actually mentioned Smash Up because that's that's also starts to get into a little bit of a, its own category um, where it's you're kind of customizing your own deck. But very limited customization choices. So as you can see, these things all kind of blend together. There's not really a hard line between them. Uh, so it sounds like uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse is a cooperative game, which is another kind of subcategory. You're working together towards a common goal, right. and the, and the role playing card games like Pathfinder uh, have similar similar vibes. Um, and they start moving into the realm of role playing games with cards and. And so everything is a continuum uh, along these different different game categories. It's one of the great things about like we are in you know gaming renaissance for uh, in this the last five ten years really has been I've seen such a huge growth in the category. Which frankly, even as somebody in the industry, I never would have predicted ten years ago. Um, but I'm really glad it's happening because I love it, and I know I, I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast loves it. So it's a you get a, you get a lot more like interesting evolutions and combinations and permutations of games. I mean even you know, Ascension was really a, a combination of uh, the the deck building game genre, which uh, Dominion uh, started up, and the drafting uh, uh, kind of limited play experience from Magic, where you kind of have to deal with what cards you have at the moment when you're building your deck. I'm embarrassed to say that I confused Dominion and Ascension several times <laughs> uh, because they were uh, in the same zone they were both deck builders and i would somebody would say i'm playing ascension i'm like oh and i'd be thinking of dominion or somebody would say dominion i'd be thinking of ascension so well i'll forgive you <laughs> <laughs> thank you mm-hmm. uh now the the modern card game that as we know it uh really didn't exist for the most part before the 90s is that right well i mean uh the collectible card game you know magic originated in i think 93 if i remember correctly 93 yeah. Um, so that didn't exist, but I mean, again, I, I don't know what, what you count as a modern card game outside of that. Well, I mean, it, Illuminati came out before that too, from Steve Jackson games. Well, all right. That was in the uh, late eighties. I think I'm basically trying to trace the history of things like 
CCGs, LCGs, deck builders. You know, a lot of these things you were just talking about. Obviously, poker and all the common party games have been around. You know, have been around for a long time. But the the more modern ones is the ones I'm thinking of that that are you know you were designing these days, which are the really you know uh, deep and complex and lots of different choices and character strategies. Are your uh, player strategies really important? Things like that. I've discovered the mainstream media has started using the word hobbyist games. Ah. Yeah, I, 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 I've shared uh, a couple different things. I, I mentioned this on uh, on my my blog also that yeah, the, there's a lot of mainstream media attention now around games, and it's really starting to become a much more just regular thing for people to do. You know, it used to be we were all ostracized as like the weirdos playing games <laughs> and dragons and playing Magic the Gathering, and now it's like actually no, everybody's playing games, and and you know I, we saw this trend in Europe a while ago and. Uh, you know, you go to a game fair like Spiel Essen and you see like just regular families and people, everybody looking around at all the cool new games. And now, uh, now you see that spreading here. I mean, you know, almost everybody knows games like Settlers of Catan and, uh, and others that are starting to spread Ticket to Ride, uh, that are starting to spread and, uh, and really open the door for a lot of people to kind of play the games that we've all grown up loving. But could, could you, do you think you'd agree with, with me if I said you can trace the growth of those types of games back to Magic in the 90s? Um, I think the growth of the hobby space in, in the hobby gaming industry in general, you, you have to give magic an enormous amount of credit. I mean, right. the, just as far as its own like market share and the ability to make hobby game stores viable, right? Like you couldn't, if you didn't have magic, uh, more than half the hobby stores in the United States would close. Um, <laughs> I, I think, mean, uh, talking about that one, it came, it came right at the end of the comic book boom. So basically the comic book market, uh, the speculator market was crashing right as magic came in. And I think it saved a lot of independent stores. There's right? no, there's no question about it. a lot of my friends run stores. I know a lot of people have been in this, this space for a long time and, and it is, you know, it is the lifeblood that lets the, the whole gaming industry survive and, and has been for a long time. Uh, not that it would all, you know, completely die, but it would definitely, you know, crumble under the, the weight and shrink rather than the continuous year over year growth that we've seen. Um, so it's, it's definitely been a, a very powerful, uh, catalyst. And of course, the funny thing about magic is part of its origin story. It was, uh, created to pass the time in line at a convention by Richard Garfield. Uh, and of course, uh, when Peter Atkinson and him worked together, they created Wizards of the Coast and Peter spent, uh, I think it was an entire, like two weeks, like a fortnight, basically driving across the United States, stopping in every single game store, personally hawking magic and, and getting it into stores just before another big, I think it might have been Gen Con actually, uh, where another big convention kind of, uh, hit. And that was the, that was the initial surge that carried it into pretty much every store everywhere. Yes, and it was designed, and and I know Peter and and Richard personally, and and they're they're both amazing people, and uh, and really really nice. And I uh, I, it's funny to hear the stories from them because it's you get a lot of you know they were both you know D and D players, and Magic was designed to be a game that you play you know while you're kind of waiting for your turn or whatever yeah. things in, in in a game of Dungeons and Dragons, and then I and then that that nature you know so they you know basically it was something to be done kind of while you were hanging out at Gen Con. For waiting for your next, you know, RPG game, and then it led to to Peter buying both TSR <laughs> and Gen- yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's like this game that I love so much. I'm just gonna buy it now. They're all mine, exactly. Uh, so you know, it's uh, you never know uh, what's gonna be uh, be a huge hit. But it's just it's such a, it's amazing to me. It's very rare, you know, like you don't see Model Ts still on the road. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it was a, it was a revolutionary thing that made cars, you know, accepted across the nation. But, but, you know, you've improved on them over the years and you've made a lot better ones and you have a lot of different ones. And, but magic, you know, they just, they just knocked it out of the park right away. There's a million different TCGs out there. Some, some of whom are awesome, really great, unique traits. And obviously I'm partial towards the, some of the ones I've worked on, but, but the, but magic has just did so much right out of the gates and has so many great things that's allowed it to survive for the last 20 some odd years. Um, and to continue to thrive and grow being bigger than it's ever been. Uh, it's, it's a really remarkable accomplishment. Well, one thing I think we have to talk about with magic is we have to talk about how valuable some of those cards were. Oh God, no, 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 because no. I, <laughs> no, I'm going to just tell everybody, just listen to the planet money podcast on magic. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, if you want, if you care about this subject, they do a great job of covering it. And talk about how the market was like exploding and how they controlled the pricing and how they did all, the, all of that different structure was, uh, and then of course set rotation, like making some cards not legal to play in tournaments and others did and how the organized play system of having tournaments with huge prizes created that secondary market and, and it helped it thrive. I mean, you know, I mean that, that if not for that, I, I certainly would not have played magic the way I did. I mean, you know, I paid my way through college playing magic. The highest valued card is of course the black Lotus. Uh, the most recent one sold was an alpha version that sold for $27,302. I started playing Magic early enough that I have actually uh, probably the second or third most valuable card is the Time Walk. I remember actually saying the phrase, I'm not paying $20 for a fucking Time Walk. <laughs> card goes for thousands now. You know, my roommate and business partner, Sean Patrick Fan, and he has a story he likes to tell about when he was in the 90s and he had gotten in early on Magic Gathering, like one of those stops that Peter had made. You know, he had, he had actually gotten some of those cards. And, uh, at one point he was, he said he, he got kind of tired of playing and he took all his cards and sold them. And with that money, he bought a car. Huh. So yeah, I mean that kind of goes to show like what you, you know how powerful how powerful and valuable no. those cards are. I know. Yeah, I'm sorry. You had I'm me sorry. looking. You had me looking. Damn it! If you were an old Magic player who sold your cards years and years ago, do not look up what those cards are worth because I remember. <laughs> I, I, I remember having at least at least six Lotus petals at one point in time from the Tempest set, and I just had when I was looking up how much a black Lotus is worth because I've never had one of those. But I had like six of these. Ten thousand fucking dollars. Wow. Each? Fuck yes. Oh my god. Fuck. Fucking <laughs> fuck. fuck. So Justin, I gotta ask. Uh could you buy a house if you sold your card collection? You know, uh there's a an awkward truth here, which is that I don't have any cards anymore. What? I, I sold my collection uh several years ago. Did you buy a house? I did not buy a house. <laughs> not buy a house. Um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I got, you know, a decent amount of money. It's, you know, definitely several thousand dollars for it. Um, uh, but I found, you know, I, when I, so my story, you know, I was a professional magic player through college and through the year after, and then I kind of wanted to get serious with my life, uh, which is a mistake for anybody listening. Um, <laughs> I went, I went to law school at NYU. I stopped playing games, uh, and I was miserable. And it wasn't until I had an opportunity to come out to San Diego to make uh, games, design games at Upper Deck that I kind of got back out and, uh, you know, was lived my life and was happy again. But, uh, but I, you know, I kind of fell off the Pro Tour, kind of stopped playing and kind of focused more on making games and designing games. And I found I just wasn't, 
you know, wasn't playing enough magic to have lugging this um, collection around with me across the country. Uh, and so, you know, now whenever I play, I, you know, I have enough friends and people who all have cards so I can borrow cards to kind of play if I want to play in a tournament. Um, but I don't really have a collection per se. Well, so should we, should we, uh, put you up as the guy to design the next Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney card game? <laughs> the, the next, I'm sorry, the next what? Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney? You're not, you're not familiar <laughs> with Phoenix Wright? No. Uh, it's a game, uh, game it's Boy. It's a Nintendo, yeah, it's a Nintendo game, uh, franchise about a lawyer called, uh, Phoenix Wright. So. Uh, have you seen the objection meme? Objection! That's where it comes yeah. from. Because <laughs> you have to hit the button at just the right time to object, at just the right time to present your dramatic evidence and swing the It's case. very dramatic. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I, I mean, definitely the, my, my one year I completed of law school has that gave me many valuable lessons. And also a gigantic uh, amount of debt that I'm <laughs> still paying off to this day. Oh no! Oh, that sucks. I'm sorry to hear that. No, listen, man. It's, it's some, you know, I, I got out cheap. I got you know a lot of people I know that uh, ended up going down the road of uh, you know being a lawyer or a doctor or whatever they their parents said that they should be or they thought they were supposed to do. And I uh, I was able to follow what I wanted to do and follow my passions. And I'm I'm internally grateful and. And very humbled from all of our, our fans and players that, that give me the opportunity to keep doing that. It's it's pretty badass to be a game designer for a living, isn't it? <laughs> you you and I get to say that. Daryl's not quite there yet, so <laughs> oh, <poor Daryl. laughs> now, here's here's the thing though. Play, play uh, uh Q Charlie Brown music is can, can I can I throw in a phone. can I throw in a plug? I uh I yeah. so for people that actually want to design games for a living, I'm uh I've started up uh about five months ago a blog, uh justingary.com. I put many things up there about how to design games, the process, the business side. Um, we just had an interview with a game attorney about the legal side, and I put tons of stuff up there uh, for people to read. Uh, I also am giving a talk on how to design collectible games at South by Southwest on March 19th at 11 a.m. Um, and I will continue to put things out there and help. You can sign up for my email list on the on the blog or whatever. I just I, I love what I do, and I know a lot of other people out there like really want to make games for a living and don't know how to start and don't know what to do and don't know how to get there. And I, I really want to help you if that's if you're that person. Uh, I, I want to help you to to live that dream. Justingary.com. Mark. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna definitely have that that uh, yes. link in the show notes. And definitely go see Justin give his talk at South by Southwest if you're in the area, because I imagine that will be a pretty awesome seminar. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit more about the 90s really quick. In the 90s, of course, Magic Success spawned almost too many to count, uh, imitators and competitors. Hundreds. Yes. Yeah. I so, got suckered in my least five. But some of the most well known, of course, being uh, Jihad, which later became the Eternal Struggle from that Bright one, Wolf. That game is really good. It, it still holds up. I love that game. Uh, so, uh, yes, that was a great game. Great game. Another one that's uh, from that time period was Netrunner. Another one from that time period was. Uh, <clears throat> help me out here, Daryl. What's some other? I, uh, I had was, it, and then you spoke, and I totally lost it. Sorry, there was, uh, and this is. Uh, there was a Battletech game from Wizards of the Coast. Right. Uh, the Shatterrun game. Uh, Spellfire. Spellfire was from TSR. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. Uh, there were pretty much anything you could think of that could be licensed was licensed. There was a Crow. There was a Highlander. card game. There was a Highlander one. Uh, there was a Buffy the Vampire Slayer one. Star Wars. Great. The Star Wars one was, I, was actually good. That was another Wizards of the Coast, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Well, there was the Star Wars. There was Wizards of the Coast Star Wars. There was Decipher Star Wars, which oh, is the Decipher. One, that's right. That's, that's right. the one I was thinking of. They both there were there were multiple Star Wars TCGs. Not surprising. And there's a Fantasy Flight one that's now a LCG. Right. There's there's a lot. 
Obviously, not surprise, surprise, there's a lot of Star Wars licensed games. <laughs> I'm shocked, shocked, I tell you, to discover this. <laughs> now, uh, some of those properties have survived and come back in various formats. I mean, Jihad, the Eternal Struggle, actually came around. I, I want to say it's had a couple of editions since. Uh, it, what happened was, uh, uh, Wizards of the Coast made the original Jihad. Right. And then they made, I believe, three expansions and were working on the fourth, uh, when White Wolf got the license back, either because of lagging sales, because it was meant to be a multiplayer game and it's a little bit harder to set up usually. Right. Um, or because they're, it just wasn't selling as good or the license price went up. I couldn't tell you to be honest. Uh, but. The license went back to White Wolf. They rebranded it as Vampire the Eternal Struggle, but matched the card backings so that you could still mix and match between the two. And then they came out with an additional, I want to say four more expansions after that. So there were seven total. Right. Um, and of course, we, we can't talk about this without talking about Pokemon. Yep. Which is another renaissance of the local game store. That that was like just as magic was finally, I think, ebbing. Here comes Pokemon, <laughs> right? And, uh, and the, the retailers are like, woohoo! Cause, cause they got a whole new market. Uh, yeah, well, Pokemon. Oh, holy hell. I was way, I'm sorry. I was way wrong. There were a lot more expansions than I yeah, thought. I, I remember like Vampire lasted till like 2010 or something. It was like, it was, a, it had a really, really good run. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 12 full expansions, three base games, four base games, including multiple editions of the first one. So, yeah, and, that, and that, there's there's card games that came out uh, 10 years ago that I never saw anybody playing ever. But they, they apparently have gone on for uh, years and years and years after that. I'm talking about things like Bella Sarah and and just I mean, their market out there for trading card games is or actually just card games in general. Is, is insane. There, so many people love this stuff. It's, it's awesome. I, if you're a card, if you are a game store owner and you don't carry card games, you really should. And if you do, you probably should, you know, stock more. Well, you know, it's, <laughs> I, I mean, it's funny, you know, there's a lot of things. So I, I, you know, I love games and I love games of all kinds, but also as a, you know, business owner and, and designer, I have to think about things on the economic side. And if you just think about the, the, the difference between like a card game compared to like a role playing game, it's it's a just a night and day thing, right? If I'm selling, especially a collectible card game, where I can just print pieces of paper and I can you know sell those over time, and 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 you need tons of them to play, and you keep you know keep getting them, uh, compared to a very expensive book that once that's you have it, you pretty much the rest is in your imagination. Uh, it's a it's a very different and very right. challenging. Uh, that's a very challenging business model to make work in the same way that it, that, it, that a card game can. So that's why you saw a, t- a huge explosion of them. And you know, there's great games on all different sides, but the great card games really um, can can make a mark on the world. And the addictive nature of them too. Uh, believe a n- one at least one nickname I remember from the '90s, early 2000s was Paper Crack. Cardboard yeah, crack. cardboard crack. Cardboard crack. You get the alliteration. <laughs> All right, so <clears throat> we've talked a little bit about CCGs, talked about the boom in the 90s, uh, and we talked about how some of these games have come back or uh, have transformed, and the living card game side has picked up some of that. Uh, Netrunner is now a living card game, I believe. That's right. Now, you talk about, Daryl, you've got some notes here about deck builders. Why don't you get us started on that topic? Well, deck builders are, are a little bit different, and there's a lot of confusion between CCGs and deck builders, because... When you play a CCG or a living card game, you're building your deck that you're going to play. 
deck building is actually a mechanic in the game. You usually start off with a deck of cards that's just a base card that everyone starts off with the same thing or with some minor variations for theme. And then your the actual mechanic of the game is you are bidding for cards. Like you are trying to, you have to pay X number of coins to get this card. You have to pay Y number of coins to get this card and you pull it and you put it in your deck. And then when you run out of cards, you reshuffle. And so now that card you bought is now in your deck that you can pull in your hand and use it. Now you've got something here about a controversy. There is a deck building game that was pretty popular for a while called Made. Are you familiar with this one, Justin? Uh, yeah, I think I am. What's, what's, can you explain the controversy to us? Um, well, uh, the gist of the controversy is around the theme of the game yes. and the art style of the game, which is basically cheesecake scant- anime. Yeah, basic anime, scantily clad women who are your slave servants, basically, and you're getting. I I I don't remember. I didn't actually play this it, game. It's, I saw it. The uh, game actually has really good mechanics to it, but the problem is the theme of it is that you are collecting these scantily clad maids to be your servants oh we're talking and about one Tanto, of the, Tanto Kuore? yes oh they, they had their booth at gen con every year with the, yep. the yeah okay now i'm familiar and then you had your one chambered maid which was your best maid that was the one oh that was god. in your chamber oh god <laughs> it is a really solid game with a really iffy theme. Yeah, on that, it. that that theme is definitely uh, um, that's that's a little like what's going on here, you know. <laughs> and even uh, Geek and Sundry played it during one of their uh, they did uh, for Tabletop Day. They had a live stream uh, yeah. where they played the game. It was uh, Felicia Day and I can't remember who else was on it. Uh, the the lead actor from um, uh, Eureka. Okay. was playing this game, but they had to basically take a couple of minutes before the start of the game to explain. Hey, this might offend some of you because of the way this, but yeah, that's, mm. wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would, you know, I I didn't know that there was a, a, a controversy aside from the fact that it was just, you know, a little bit of a, a a strange and, and some might say very sexist, uh, theme. Yeah. It's the sexism and the fact that your main maid is your chambered maid that stays in your okay. bedroom. Right. The, okay. yeah. the implications involved. Yeah. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So we'll just say that the theme is problematic. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. Uh, okay. Is, was there any other controversies and stuff in the card game market that we should be aware of? Any, any big, like, you know, uh, I have, uh, well, there's big, there was a big one that I, um, well, uh, that really kind of, d- took out the company that I used to work for for a while, um, where, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh, um, was just, you know, created by Konami, but was distributed by, uh, Upper Deck. Uh, oh, right, right. Okay. And there was a scandal when, uh, it was turned out that this is right. Actually, this came out literally a day after I had quit to start my own company. The, this lawsuit comes down that they had been, Upper Deck had been counterfeiting cards what? on the black market of the oh game. Oh my God. Produce. Wait, are they can it technically be counterfeit if they're the ones who made them? Well, normally they have to they have to pay a royalty on all their oh. sales. They made the cards without paying Konami. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, there's there's actually public court records about this and some pretty pretty damning uh, quotes and things. Um, 
So that was uh, that was a pretty devastating blow to the company at the time. Now the people who were responsible for that are all gone, and now the team that's at Upper Deck um, are actually great people. I know them, and I've worked with them. You know, I worked with them back in the day, and I've worked with some of them since. Uh, and so they've been doing things like the Marvel uh, deck building game Legendary and a bunch of other games. Uh, so they're you know they've now uh, have rebuilt their brand and rebuilt their team. But at the time, it was uh, it was a pretty huge scandal that kind of rocked the uh, the CCG world. Okay. And if, right. not, and if I'm not mistaken with you, Hugo, there was another more public controversy, not so much a financial thing, where it was just interference from the licensor, where they would kept, kept saying, okay, we need this card to do this, not that, even though it hadn't to match the source material. Uh, well, there's... There was a lot of drama between licensor and licensee in that whole development process. Um, I don't know how much of that is public, so I don't know how much of that I can really talk about um, well, from we, that we, period. We spoke a little bit about this on a previous show, just basically saying that Yu-Gi-Oh! started out as just like an anime that had a card game in it, and then somebody said, hey, you need to make this a card game. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So so there's definitely this thing that happens with the you know games that are based on a cartoon – and if it's the cartoon is just like, all right, we're just going to do whatever seems like it's cool for the show, for the episode, but it doesn't make sense for the actual rules of an actual game. Right. Um, and then you're like, okay, make the game. And it's got to be like the show it can be really, really challenging. Um, yeah, I've, 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 <laughs> I've done several properties like this. I was only tangentially involved with Yu-Gi-Oh! as most of the other people at, at Upper Deck at the time. Um, but I, uh, I saw a lot of that struggle and then some of the games they created there. And I was heavily involved working with a company called Spin Master to make a game called Redakai. And that was another one, but that one was, they, they did it right. I mean, they did a lot of things right with the, you know, we built the game first, then we built right. the show around the game. Um, and there was a lot of really cool things going on. The cards were actually all lenticular, like see through that could like change as you change the card and then stack on top of each other. And oh. it was super, super cool. Really, I want to, you know, definitely a project I'm really super proud of. Unfortunately, the price point was super high and, and, and the market really just wasn't ready for it. So it didn't, it didn't last, but there was all these toys that went with it and a really, really cool story. So making that integration right and making it, un- having people that know games be there from day one as opposed to starting with a cartoon and then kind of trying to fill a game in on the, on the backside of it is, is right. it makes a big difference. So I, I got a quick question for you. So nowadays, like the most modern stuff we've seen in the last couple of years, amongst the plethora of games and things that have come out from big name studios uh, are things like Skylanders and Disney infinity. And to me, those look like a very ev- evolutionary outgrowth of Pokemon. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, the ability to catch, you know, gotta catch them all is the, uh, the Pokemon slogan is the basic motto for any collectible game. Uh, even if it's not the official logo, uh, or slogan and, you know, things like Skylanders are a very cool way to marry physicality and the joy of collecting things like real things and the, um, cool things that you could do with video games and digital on the digital side. Um, and that's a space I'm just super interested in in general. I've been doing a lot of different games and working on a lot of different projects that have various degrees of hybrid digital physical stuff, right? So Ascension is a physical card game and it's basically ported to digital. So we have it. You can play it on, um, you know, on your Android iOS device or on PC and it's the same game basically in both. Soul Forge is a pure digital card game that lets me do things that are, I can only do in a digital game. Like the cards actually level and transform every time you play them. And then you have things like Skylanders and other, um, uh, Golem Arcana and others that like 
have physical and digital interact in a way that makes each one relevant to the experience, which is a pretty interesting space to be. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Gollum Arcana because that was very cool. And I, I have to say this again, you know, I said my uh, my roommate uh, is just addicted to Ascension, and that includes the digital version. Uh, when he and his wife, uh, sorry, when he and his fiance are are uh, going places or, or you know sitting around for a long time, I will often hear them cursing as their digital opponent beats them in <laughs> Ascension. <laughs> Uh, so this is all very, very cool, but I, so I have a, another quick question for you, Justin. If you were to take away Magic the Gathering and you were to take away all the stuff that, that you have personally been involved in, uh, can you tell us about one of your favorite card games and why it's your, one of your favorites? Um, so take away Magic and take away any game I've been personally involved in. Right. What are my go-to favorite games? Um, San Juan is one of my favorite games. Um, if you're familiar with the game, are you familiar with the game Puerto Rico, the board game Puerto Rico? Vaguely. Okay, so Puerto Rico is a very, very popular amongst, you know, serious board games, right? It's got a lot of really clever mechanics that you're, there's drafting of different roles, but the roles help everybody and you want to be taking them that when they help you the most. There's a different resources and timing and it's, it's a very strategic game. But it's very complicated. And for new players, you basically have no chance to win your first game. And it's very, very hard to pick up. Yeah, one of the biggest complaints about Puerto Rico is basically you have to know your strategy from the start of the game. And if you screw up once, you're basically out of the game if you're playing with anyone who's experienced. Right, exactly. It's a very, very competitive, strategic game with very little variance in it. San Juan takes the basic idea of Puerto Rico, which is this sort of role drafting and trying to, you have the, you know, the cycle of producing goods and selling them and trying to get resources and points. And it boils it down into this simple, really elegant card game design that can be played in 20 minutes that anybody can pick up, that there's a lot of strategy, but there's also enough variance that, you know, you can kind of still feel like you can win, even if you're not as good as the people at the table. Um, and it just, it's that. I really appreciate elegance in game design, being able to take a few rules and get a lot of fun and a lot of depth out of that is what I always look for. And I think San Juan did that and it's, and it's starkly illustrated when you compare it to its, you know, its inspiration of, uh, of Puerto Rico. So that's, that's probably my go-to answer. That's one of the things I love most about Sentinels of the Multiverse is the elegant rule design. I like to, I like to see how they made the individual decks feel like that character's power set and how the villains play differently from each other. And it's just, it's, it's very, I think they did a fantastic job on that game. So yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. Daryl, why don't you check that game out now that you've, uh, you've talked it up so much. So <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Daryl, can you take us through any other uh, card game types that we may have missed? Oh, uh, there's a lot of, different ones that uh, that don't really fall into a category they fall into that general social one uh one that actually i, I believe one uh spill de jar uh was uh hanabi which is a oh, really a great game a great game the theme behind it is you're uh, trying to do a fireworks show and you can see the cards that everyone else has but you can't see your own cards and huh. you're all kind of working together to try to lay out the right patterns with the right colors, but you're limited in what you can say to anyone else. So you can't just say, Oh, well, play the third card from the left. Cause that's the blue one we need. You huh. can't do that. It's yeah. against the rules. So it's, it, it, it's really, it's one of those games. It's 
Really, really simple, but elegant in its simplicity. So I, I categorize that as, um, as a social party game. Um, and the reason I do that is because I think social party games are primarily categorized by, um, restrictive communication channels that they are all about trying to get information to other players or from other players through restricted means. So, you know, uh, Pictionary, Taboo, Cards Against Humanity, they're all things where like, all right, you're only allowed to do this one thing or you're not allowed to say these words or you have to use a card or you have to do whatever to get this across. And similarly with um, Hanabi, it's, okay, I can say, you know, this is a four or this is a blue card or whatever. I can give you, I can give you a very basic information um, and then you have to be able to deduce from that what else might be going on. Um, even though it's definitely a strategic, uh, very strategic game. And my friends and I have played that quite a bit. Um, but we play hardcore. I mean, you either like get it all, you either get a hundred percent, you, or you, or we lose. Uh, the, the rules are, uh, they, they give you a variety of victory conditions, uh, because it's very, very hard to, to actually complete successfully a game of Hanabi, uh, with yeah. hitting all the numbers. Yeah, it is. It's one of those games where it's really easy to learn the rules, but it's really hard to figure out the strategies on, which is what makes it kind of a fun game. Um, one that's on the complete other end of the spectrum that I really love is we didn't play test this at all, <laughs> which is hands down a social game. But oh, my God, that plus a 12 pack of beer is a good evening <laughs> or a good or a good half hour at a convention. Well, there's also some games that I have heard of that are in a different zone of social games. And I mean, it's, it's basically cards that facilitate a very social engagement. And I'm talking about things here like bang and werewolf, uh, to a lesser extent, hex, hex. Those are always been to me. They're games that involve cards. But yeah. I know it's, card I, I, it's, 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 on, it's like an edge case. There. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, Resistance is another one of my favorite big group games. You've got, you're at a convention. You've got, it's easy to find five to 10 people to play a game of resistance at a con, but it's got a lot of cards involved, but I don't consider it a card game. All right. Well, I, I think I, we've reached the, the end of the discussion of types of games. So, <laughs> well, there's still, um, uh, you've got a lot of stuff like, uh, there's tr- a lot of trick taking games. They come around like um, 12 days is one that was on tabletop. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to start going into every mechanic category that are used in games, we're going to be here for <laughs> forever. 24 yeah. hours here. So <laughs> but I did want I did want to bring up one from your company called bad beats. Ah, yes. Bad beats. I, I saw this and I'm like, Oh my God, I have to have this game. It is. <laughs> can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. Bad beats is a, uh, is a game about, uh, eating your vegetables, uh, or rather, <laughs> uh, trying to avoid eating your vegetables. Uh, it's, uh, really fun, really fast. Only takes about 10 to 15 minutes to play. Um, you, uh, everybody represents kids at the dinner table and you all have a certain number of beat tokens in front of you. And then each turn you take an action, um, to try and get rid of the beats. You can do things like feed them to the dog. Uh, you can share, uh, with another player giving them the beats. You can, uh, tattletale on somebody to, uh, if you can guess which card they're holding, you get to give them a bunch of extra beats. Um, and so the, but the trick is that each turn you only have one card in your hand. You pick a card and then you pass a card to the player to your left. But your card is face down. So when you say your action, you could totally be lying. 
And the whole game is about trying to be able to lie. And if you think somebody else is lying, you can call them out on it. And there's sort of penalties if you're right or if you're wrong and a benefit if you're right. And so there's this really fun, like psychological thing that goes on as you're like playing and passing cards and trying to get, do your best to get rid of all your beats before any other player. And then you get a little ice cream token when you win. Oh, uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> it's super, it's super fun. It's really good. Like it's actually so if somewhat embarrassing fact I'll reveal, um, my family really, doesn't play any of my games uh you know, <laughs> play it they play it you know when i bring it home oh good job son you know you're a kind of boy but bad beats is the first game i made that they actually play like every week when i'm not home like they wow. they sit around and play um because it's really really fun and and the first time my mom like just lied just bald face lied to my face uh, to win a game and was able to pull it off was was really I was really proud of that moment because I just got, no way my mom would lie to me no way <laughs> she got me good um, so wow. it's really it's really fun it's cheap it's only like a, you know fifteen dollar game or whatever so it's you know the cheap one of the cheaper games we've made and uh, and just super fun I I I really uh, recommend people check that out if uh, you know lying to your friends uh, sounds like a fun way to spend fifteen minutes all right. Justin, let me ask you this question. What are your final thoughts for people out there who have not yet played card games like the ones that you make? Uh, what are your final thoughts on the things that we talked about tonight and how to get them to play the, the stuff that you do? Yeah, I mean, so listen, there's a lot of great opportunities out there. If you have a phone or a iPad or a computer, you can play my games for free. Um, so you can try them at very little cost. Uh, so Soul Forge, S-O-L-F-O-R-G-E, and Ascension are both available for free. Um, so you can try them out and see if you like them. Um, you know, for a lighter game, um, Bad Beats, it's, uh, that's only a physical game, so it's, it's not, uh, it's not free, but, uh, it's only 15 bucks and it's a, it's a very fast 15 minute experience that you can really play with a lot of, you know, non-gamer friends. And, you know, you just gotta decide what is the experience that, that you're looking for. There's tons of what I, what I like to call gateway games. Uh, that really can get you into the card gaming world. And, and I try to, I pride myself on making games that are very easy to pick up, uh, even while they have a ton of, you know, a lot of strategic depth. You know, I think it's just, just try it, you know, find, find friends. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast and, you know, you're, you're, you're interested in games and, and, and you hang out and bust out a, a card game in between, you know, role playing sessions and give yourself a little bit of a break and, and try different stuff, um, and see what resonates with you. Um, if you're really into role playing games, obviously there's things like the Pathfinder card game and others that are kind of, you know, role playing based card games. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of good opportunities out there. The games are a ton of fun to play, uh, whether it's mine or otherwise. Um, you know, there's a lot, it's a great community and, uh, and a really fun thing to be a part of. I'll go next and I'll leave Daryl for last. <laughs> Uh, my final thoughts on this, this has been a great show. I'm really, uh, I want to say on behalf of Daryl and myself, we're very grateful to have you join us, Justin. My pleasure. Thank but you. But the, uh, the thing, the thing I would take away from this is, um, if you're interested in game design, and I don't care if it's video games, board games, whatever, you should go out there and play all the different types of games that you can. And that includes a lot of the card games and stuff that we were talking about tonight. I was not that guy for many, many years. I just was like, no, I'm not going to play card games. It's not my thing. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not interested. Right. Um, I, I, I thought that I knew what card games were like, but I was wrong. And when I got into Sentinels of the Multiverse, it really broadened my opinion. It broadened my horizons. And uh, I think there's a lot any game designer can learn from playing different card games and understanding how this particular medium can really engage the player and get them to think about the meaningful choices that are available to them 
in the in, in the game, whether that's strategy, whether that's storytelling, whatever whatever it happens to be. I think there's a lot to learn. Yeah, and let me let me just add on to that because if you are an aspiring game designer, I will go further and say there is no better place to start than with card games. Um, oh, really? What category of game you want to make? And the reasoning is the key to being a game designer, and I write about a lot of this stuff on my blog, but the key to being a game designer is learning how to iterate on your designs, prototype them, test them, and go through that cycle again and again and again. And card games are the fastest game to do that with. So you can build the game, you can write on a bunch of cards that you have, reshuffle them up, put them in the sleeves, whatever. It's a very fast cycle to iterate and test. So you will develop the skills and the critical thinking and listening skills that are required to be a good game designer. Because when you're talking about making a video game, for example, right, that's going to take, you know, it takes at least thousands of dollars or months of time to build it and to get it ready and to go. And if it doesn't work, it can take you hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars to kind of re- redo it and, and go through that cycle again. And so it's very, very difficult. And so by building your instincts and getting your chops in in the card game world, it's going to set you up to be whatever kind of game designer you want to be down the road. Right. Yeah. Uh, the guy, the, one of the guys who founded Pixar, Edward Catmull, he, his advice to creative people is – to fail early and fail often because that's the best way to learn. 100% right. Yeah. yeah and you were talking about uh, prototyping on card games. I've played a lot of prototype uh, card games or games that involved cards. All you have to do is print out on your printer the cards, cut them up with pieces of scissors, and stick them in like the, the sleeves for cards. And they shuffle just as well as regular cards, a little bit floppier, but. Yeah. <laughs> use, I recommend I recommend you use a, a regular card um, as the back and then, and then the piece of paper in front of it. Yep. Um, in the sleeve and then that will get let give it that normal shuffle feel uh and then it's that's it that's all you need to do and so it's it's just uh, my biggest advice is is exactly uh you know exactly that just go and prototype and test and do it and go through that cycle and you're going to feel weird about it and then your first iteration is going to suck and you're going to feel bad and you're going to work on it and it's going to get better and better and better and your skills are going to get better and better and better. Um, and that's, it's really the, the, the best way to improve no matter what your goal is, uh, in, in game design. All right. Daryl, final thoughts really quick. Um, we were talking about game design. If you want to learn how to figure out, uh, how to word things correctly, I'm going to go to a story from Richard Garrett when he was prototyping, uh, Magic the Gathering. Richard Garriott? Richard, Richard Garfield. Garfield, Christ. Um, Richard Garfield, when he was prototyping Magic the Gathering, I think this was uh, from 91, 92 era, uh, he had someone come up to him and said, I've got a card in my deck that no matter what, I just need this one card and I win. And he's like, wait a minute, what? And so he shows him Time Walk, which the card at that time said, opponent loses next turn. <laughs> As in next turn, you lose. Yes. And that, w- and that was the point in time when he said, Oh, Hey, I might need to think about how I word things. Oh, yes. Oh, the templating and knowing how to word cards. And that is, I, I cannot tell you how many hours and probably at this point weeks of my life I have spent, uh, discussing that and trying to get those finer points because it's so easy to get con- when something's so obvious to you because you know what you mean does not mean that it's going to be obvious to, you know, the millions of players you hope to reach. Yeah, card games are great. I have a shelf full of games, including a bunch of card games. And the reason why is because card games usually tend to have a lower price point than board games do because it's easier to print a bunch of cards than it is to print boards and um, mold tokens and miniatures and all that. It's also a shorter time commitment, generally. Yeah, and they're great, especially the quick games. Uh, we didn't talk much about it, but there's one called Sushi Go. 
that is really fast playing game. It's a lot of fun. And it's great for, oh, hey, you know that one guy who always shows up late to every single session. Everyone else is ready to play, but he's going to be there in 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah, play this game while you're waiting for him. Exactly. And there's a lot of games that are like that. Uh, Love Letter is another one that plays really, really fast. Um, and they're also, they don't take up a lot of space. You get these big boxes. You can always take them out of the box and put them in those little card boxes they sell for Magic the Gathering players. So there's a lot of card games out there. And even if you want to get into Magic the Gathering, the barrier is lower than it's ever been because they sell these like pre-constructed starter decks where you don't have to do what I did when I started out, which is buy a starter deck that you can't actually play because it's a bunch of random cards. No, they pre-construct these decks and they usually come in dual decks. So you've got two different decks that you can actually balance against each other. So it is a great facet of gaming that you should get into really easy to learn and pick up and go for it. Okay. Well, that is going to take us to the end of our show. So Justin, for the listeners, where can they find out more about you and your latest thing? Uh, well, uh, you can find, uh, my personal writing on, uh, design, uh, games and life at, uh, justingary.com. Uh, you can also see me on, uh, on Twitter at Justin underscore Gary. Um, all of the games from Stoneblade, uh, can be found at stoneblade.com, uh, as well as, uh, you know, ascensiongame.com, soulforgegame.com, and badbeats.com for the specifics of the games. We also have a brand new game that we'll be announcing, uh, very soon in a couple weeks. Um, so Ooh. stay tuned for that. Uh, I will be, uh, so if you follow me on, uh, on Twitter, uh, I will announce it on there as well as through our, uh, our various other social media feeds. I'm all the places where you would expect. Um, and you know, for those that are out there that are interested, you know, uh, we, I, I'd love to hear from you and for people that are aspiring game designers, I want to provide that, uh, support. And if you're looking in, uh, you know, getting into card games and that whole thing, um, you know, I'm out there and, uh, and it's, I love helping people. Fantastic. Justin, thank you very much. Daryl, we need to get Justin back on the show to talk about tournaments at some point because this guy has got an amazing tournament record. Oh, yeah. And I, w- I want to pick your brain, Justin, about how, how tournaments uh, and stuff work. And I think our listeners would like to know. Uh, but we'll schedule that for another time. Yeah, we'll uh, be happy to do a part two sometime soon. Oh, fantastic. All right, man. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show. And until next time, for the listeners, Daryl. May all your hits be crits. <laughs>